0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram and I hope you enjoy this episode. If everybody would open up to the Gemara and Brachos, we're going to start right in the middle. We're going to jump right into the deep water. You know, there's two ways to learn how to swim. One way to learn how to swim is to start in the shallow water, the way I learned, and that way, I didn't learn how to really swim till I was 28 years old. The other way to learn how to swim is just to jump right into the deep water, which is what we're going to do right now. So if everybody jumps into <laughs> to daf lamed vav amen, alef, lamed vav amen, alef, you'll see about 10 lines down, there's a gemara is- that starts with the words kim Dachiti, Kimcha Dachiti. Now, we're not going to be going in order in this year. We're going to be learning what we call the which means we're going to be doing it in great depth, the Mirza Hashem. And the idea is to really try to understand the principles behind the halachas of brachas. Mesach the brachas is split into a number of different parts. The first three prakim deal with the laws of Krishma. The fourth and the fifth parak deal with the laws of Shmana Esrei. The sixth parak deals with birchas hanan, and that's the brachas that we make on foods. And the seventh parak deals with zimun, and then the eighth and the ninth parak deal with other um, issues with regards to specific special brachas that we say once in a while. So we're going to start with Berkha hanene. We're going to be jumping around, but at the same time we're going to be doing sugyas. So very often when you learn a gemara straight, there's actually more out of order than when you do a sugya. When you do a sugya, you focus on one element, even though it could be that you find it in different areas of the gemara. When you do a Gemara straight, it's, 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 it sounds like it's more in order, but very often because so many different elements are brought up in a, in a blot Gemara, that going straight is actually a little bit more out of order than going out of order, which is more straight because then you're hitting on the areas that you want to really focus on. So we're going to start with a Gemara. One, two, three, four, five. It's ten lines down on Dafla, Vavam and Aleph. The second word on the line is Kimcha, Kimcha Dachitik. There's a, a concept of kimcha d'achiti, which simply means we're talking about the brachas that we make on different foods. You want to, what's the bracha that we make on flour, on wheat flour? Kimcha, kemach is flour, and d'achiti is wheat flour. So there's a machlokis in the Gemara, the Yehuda and Rav Nachman. Behuda Omar, Bari Priyad I hope everybody has the place. Behuda Omar, Amar bore Dhamma. The bracha you make on Kimcha, D'achiti is bore Priyad Dhamma. Nachman Omar, Shahakom the Yebidvar. Rav Nachman says that it's Shahakom the Yebidvar. Now, what bracha do you make on wheat? So uh, I would think that I thought you made a mizono, I thought you make a mazonos on wheat. If a person eats a, a piece of cake, you make a, a bari mizonos, Everybody knows that. A person eats a cookie, you make a bari mune masonos. So the truth is, the only time that you make a bari mune is when you take one of the five grains or maybe rice and millet as well, and you crush and grind the grain, and then you do some type of, you add some type of heat to it that makes it into a, into a type of porridge or a type of food where the grains are crushed and mixed together. And then they're because of the element of heat that we've used to uh, process the wheat, it becomes like a cookie or a cake or, a, or some type of porridge, some type of oatmeal. However, if one were to take a piece of just a grain, a kernel of wheat, so then the hablochi is that you make a bari priha dhamma. The Gemara says, we'll see this in a different place. Hako is chita, somebody who chews on a piece of kernel, on a wheat kernel. The bracha is a bar priyadam. So the question that the Gemara is asking is, when you just chew or you eat a kernel of wheat, imagine you're in the field, you're harvesting the wheat, and you're a little bit hungry, you don't have time to start crushing the wheat and going through the whole process of making a piece of uh, a cookie. You just want to take a wheat and, and, you, and, and, and you pop it in your mouth. So the halacha would be to make a bar adam in such a case. The Gemara now asks, what happens in between the stage of the kernel of wheat and the actual cookie? What bracha do you make? Kim Dachiti, Yehuda says, it remains a bar dama. The same way on the wheat kernel itself, you make a bar dama. So too, on the wheat that you've made into a flour, you also make a bar dama. Nothing has changed. Kim Dachiti, as I mentioned a moment ago, the same way you make a bari on the wheat kernel, because it comes straight from the ground, the same way you make a bari on a tomato, and the same way you make a on a um, on, on celery, you make a bari on wheat as well. Only when you process the wheat, you make it into a cookie, do you make a masona. So the Gemara now wants to know, what about if you make it into a wheat um, flour? So Rabbi Huda says, it remains a bari And Rav Nachman says, shakon yebedvaru. Nachman says, for some reason, the wheat flour becomes a shock on the Ebedvar. The Gemara continues and asks as follows. Amalei Rav of Nachman. Lo To oled Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi So Rabbi says to Rav Nachman, it's almost like a little bit of a threat. How can you argue? How can you argue with Rabbi with Yehuda? Everybody holds like Rabbi Yehuda. Everybody holds like Rabbi Yehuda. I remember when they were putting up the flat B'Sheirav. And the and the and the uh, the Borough Park area, the, the Brooklyn of the Flatbush Erev. So you, you might be aware that Rav Moshe Feinstein said that the Flatbush Erev was a problem. He didn't think it was appropriate or even possible to make a Flatbush Erev. And there were those rabbanim who disagreed. So at that time, everybody was, How can you disagree with Rav Moshe? How can you disagree with Rav Moshe? You're not allowed to disagree with Rav Moshe. It almost sounds like the same type of uh, question. How can you agree? How can you argue with Reb Huda He's so good. everybody holds like Reb Everybody we we all bow to Reb Huda. How do you know this? Because just like on an olive, you make a bar so too, when you take that olive and you make it into an olive oil, so you make a bar an olive oil. So you see, just because you take a just because you take a food and you change its consistency from its original state, the original bracha remains. You have an olive bar And then you make olive oil, bar priyaits. So too here, too. You have a piece of uh, a wheat kernel, bar you make it into a wheat flour, it should remain a bar priyadama. Who says it should change to become a shahakal? That's the Gemara's question. Alma, the Gemara says, even though it's changed, it remains in its original state, and therefore it retains its original brachah, bar is so too by wheat flour, just because it changed, the it stays in its original state. Therefore, it remains a bar pri dhamma. So the Gemara says, no, you can't compare the two cases. You cannot compare the two cases. Me, dummy. Me, dummy. Now, Me, dummy doesn't mean are you a dummy. That's not what it means. Me, dummy. The word dummy in Aramaic means, me, dummy. You can't compare dhamma. You can't compare the two cases. It, almost, it sounds like almost me, dummy. Me, dummy. Are you a dummy? You can't compare the two cases. So, right, that's not a big don't quote me on that. That's not the, that's not something we need to quote me. But that's an interesting way of learning the I mean, dummy, hassam leslei When it comes to the olive oil, the reason why it retains its original bracha is because you've reached the final state. There's nothing that's going to happen to the olive oil after you make it into olive oil. You're you're not in the middle of a process. You're you finished the process, so therefore. There's no other bracha, it doesn't go down a notch in bracha. However, hacha, when you're talking about the wheat kernel, you're just in the middle of the process. There is another direction, there's another part of the process that's going to happen. In, when you take the wheat kernel and you make it into wheat flour, you're right in the middle of the process because the goal here is to take the wheat flour and then eventually add water and make dough and eventually make it into a nice challah. So, because you're in the middle of the process, therefore, Shmuel holds that you make a sha'ak on the Ebedvar. Now, if you take a look in the Gemara, again, about 10 lines down, right where we started from Kimcha Dachiti. Where Rav Nachman says there's a little there's a little hay in my Gemara. There should be one in your Gemara too. That little hay is a reference to the side of the Gemara by the Ein Mishpat near Mitzvah that tells you where to look in Shulchan Aruch to see what the actual haloch is. We have a machlokas for Yehuda and Rav Nachman. Yehuda holds on kimcha dechiti on wheat flour. You make up bore priadam. Rav Nachman holds you make a We have a machlokas whether. If you're in the middle of the process of taking a wheat kernel into making bread, and you find yourself with wheat flour, whether it retains its original bracha or berpi where it goes down a notch to shachol niyevidvarim, which what's the halacha? So we don't know. We know there's a machlokas. What's the halacha? So if you take a look, the Eid Mishpat tells me. Look in Maimon in Hilchos Brachos. That's the Rambam. Look in the Smag. Look in the Torah So later, if you have a chance, take a look in Shulchan Aruch and see. What it says, but from the fact that the little letter is by the shahakal tells me that's probably the way that we paskin. So we actually paskin that the bracha is shahakal ni'ebedvaro on wheat flour. Let's review for a second. Person has a wheat kernel, he's in the field, and he wants to pop in wheat kernels into his mouth, he makes a bar piyadama. A person takes the wheat kernel, he makes it into wheat flour, he grinds the kernels, makes it into a flour, he makes a shahakal ni'ebedvaro. Then he takes that flour, and he adds water and he makes it into a dough and he puts it into the oven and he makes a challah, he'd make a hamotzi lechem in the arets. Or if he adds water, a lot of water, and he adds some sugar and he makes it into a cookies, he'd make a bar in Amazonas. So that's where we're up. So I'd like to try to explain the shita of Ravnachman, Shahakon the Abidvaru. Why is it that on Kimcha Dachiti we move from a barpiyadhamma as we're on the as we're on the way to a ha in the arets, we stop off. With the shahakol neyav devarah, there is a gemara in brachos on daf mem. You turn to gemara in brachos on daf mem. The gemara tells us is trying to figure out how do we define a tree in halacha. How do we define a tree in halacha? So if you take a look at the very last line, the very last line brachos daf mem amid aleph. The gemara tells me as follows: Everybody see a mem amid aleph in gemara brachos the very last line, When do we make the bracha bari what, what type of fruit or item do we need in order to make a bari Now, the Gemara is in the middle of trying to figure out how to define a tree in halacha. Now, this question is not just important for the laws of brachas. It's important for many halachas, including the laws of Arla. If something is a tree in halacha, then you're not going to derive any benefit from its fruit the first three years, the time that it's planted. Person's not a tree. If, if, person, if, if, an item, if something is not defined as a tree, defined as a vegetable, then you can get, uh, derive any benefit, uh, not just the first, the first uh, year, you can derive benefit the first day. You can get that fruit up in a few weeks, however long it takes. You can derive benefit. So it's very important in other areas as well to define whether something is a tree or not. Another area where it's important to know whether something's a tree is in the halacha called Klai HaKerem. What's the laws of Klai? Klai HaKerem means as follows. Pusik says, You're not allowed to plant your vineyard Klai. A person has a vineyard. Just last night, I heard that one of my friends, made Aliyah a few years ago, bought a piece of land, and he's now started his own bourbonry. He's making bourbon. That's what he's doing. So I, I, I was so excited for him because I know he loves bourbon. And I always had this dream. Eventually, Mitz Shem one day going to Eretz Israel with the family, buying a piece of land and starting a vineyard. I'd like to start a vineyard. We call it Weiss Wines, maybe WW or maybe I don't want to call it WWW. People think I got into wrestling, so I don't want to do that. But, you know, start some type of vineyard. It'd be beautiful. Matter of fact, when I was when we were in Eretz Israel a few years ago, we swapped cars with an Israeli family. And the Israeli family, the name was Tepperberg. If you go into any of the kosher wine stores, you'll see Tepperberg wines. That's their wine. He was, he was, uh, he, he, was uh, he owned the vineyard. The family owned the vine. He's been, in, and he's been in, uh, in in wine for you know his life. So that's such a beautiful idea. On the other hand, I also remember that years ago I had this thought of buying a farm in Arizestrel and milking cows for the rest of my life, and I did that for about uh, about five minutes somewhere in uh, near Lakewood, New Jersey, and I realized. I'm not so into milking cows. Maybe I'm into crushing grapes. It could be after five minutes, I'll go back to the Gemara. I'm not sure. But these are, one of the, these are some of the things that I think about. Maybe you're thinking about the same thing. Maybe we'll visit each other one day in Eretz Yisrael. Your bourbonry, my farm, someone else's vineyard will be very exciting. And Hashem, amen. So now, <laughs> the luck is you can't plant kalayim. I know what you're thinking. I thought I signed up for a Gemara Shear. <laughs> Let's learn. It's going to be so exciting. It's unbelievable. We're going to learn such great things. Uh, tell everyone about this. It's going to be a great shemitas shem. Let's begin. Let's let's continue. Gemara says in klayim the halach is you're allowed to plant a tree next to a vineyard. The person has a vineyard right in the middle of his vineyard. He wants to plant some apple trees, some orange trees, or he wants to make an orange orange growth, No problem. A vegetable you're not allowed to plant next to a vineyard. Lo Kizra, Karmachal Klaim, refers to vegetables. The entire mesechta climb is filled with this. The Rambam, Hilch, climb. That's the halacha. So for another area, it's important to know whether something's a tree or a vegetable. If it's a tree, then the halacha is that uh, that you can't plant it. If it's a vegetable, if it's a tree, you can't plant it. If it's a vegetable, you can't plant it. Okay, fine. There's a Tosfet that says as follows. So first, let's throw in the Gemara. The Gemara says, bar shaklas let's read that again, when do we make a bar pre-8? in other words, when is something considered a tree, when is it a bar pre-8? when someone would take the fruit off the branch of the tree, and at the end of the season, the trunk of the tree would remain, and maybe even the branches, this is a Maklonka's Rashi in the rush, maybe even the branches upon which the fruits grew remain. And the next year, the next season, without doing anything, without replanting, the tree will re-grow its fruits. That's called the tree. When you plant uh, Marlar, go to David Metzman's front yard, he plants Marlar. You plant Marlar. So you, get, you take the Marlar out of the ground. The next year, there's no, there's, no, there's no tree there. You have to, you have to replant the mara. You have to, and, and more mara is going to come right from the ground itself. A tree means that there's something at least above ground that remains from year to year. Now, how much has to be above ground that remains from year to year is a major mach locus. But let's just assume for now that if you have at least a little bit of a trunk that remains from year to year, and then the tree grows higher again and gives its fruits from year to year, and you don't have to replant it. That's called a tree. So Talsufas has a question: What's the halacha regarding a bush? If you look at Talsufas, Talsufas says, in the last Talsufas on Daf Mem Amar says, Me'yochan the tusim sim u'prizosu the behem the barach alein bar priates. Tusim are berries, blackberries, blueberries. What's the on berries? So if you've seen a a berry bush, generally it's a blackberry bush or a blueberry bush. So the bush remains from year to year. We have a bungalow colony, moonlight cottages. There's a blueberry bush or a blackberry bush right near the bungalow. I come for the last 40 years, the same bush is there. I don't think once we've ever eaten from those berries, but the same bush is there. So Talmud says, based on our criteria, that the tree has to remain in place. So the bush has a uh, halacha of a tree, and therefore you make a bar preyts me'achan nirev the tusim the kayotze behind simch levarachalayim bar preyts. Why? Sharei derecha because it's the way of the bush of the tree leiskayim yomim rabim to last for many days and for many years. V'chishakal apri b'shanazu. And when you take the fruit this year, next year, the fruit will come forth on the same exact tree. Therefore, it's a of a tree. And you make a a But then Tos was interestingly quotes a Risham by the name of Rev Menachem. Not such a well-known Risham. Rabbi Menachem brings up proof from a sect of Kalayim that this is not so. That in fact, the bracha on a bush, meaning the bracha on a berry that comes from a bush, would actually be a bari priha adama. Why does he say that? The varchan al kol mini otod that the bracha on all types of bushes, bari priha It's a bari priha The hasam, min ve'enon kalayim Oh, look at this. You know how Rav Menachem knows that a berry bush. <clears throat> you know Rav knows that a berry bush is considered a, 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 um, a hard, not a tree. See, quotes Yerushalmi. First, Yerushalmi says that a bush is a tree. First, says it's a tree, and therefore, since it's a tree, so the halacha is that you can plant it next to a caramel, As we said before, something that's a tree can be planted next to your vineyard. Something that's a vegetable cannot be planted next to a vineyard. So a berry bush, the Gerushalmi says, can be planted next to a tree, which implies, can be planted next to a vineyard, which implies that it's a, considered a tree. But then the Gerushalmi asks, v'hatanya. Hey These are different items that have the status of deshayim, which means not trees, vegetables. Hakundis v'ha'atod. And the Brisis says, included in those things that do not have the status of a tree is considered a utad. So a bush it seems to be a stira in the rishalmi whether the berries from a bush have the status of a tree or not. They do have the status of a tree, that's why you can plant them next to next to the Klaya next to the vineyard. So in what area does the brysa say that they don't have the status of a tree? So the Gemara says. U'meshani, Tosephus quotes the Yerushalmi, different type of way of speaking, different type of Nusukh, U'meshani, tamon lebrocha, v'hocha leklayim. Yerushalmi makes a distinction in between whether you're dealing with which bracha to make on a berry or whether the berry is considered a tree with regards to kalayim. Amale in yin brocha minei Let's just review again what Tosephus says. Tosephus says, from Rabbi Menachem, that there's a steer about the status of a bush. It seems that a bush does have the status of a tree because you can plant it next to your vineyard. And if it was a vegetable, you couldn't plant it next to your vineyard. On the other hand, the bracha that you make on a berry is a ha Now, I don't want anyone to leave the shir without understanding the halacha la-maisa. Halacha are of Moshe Paskins that are many berries, including the blackberry and the blueberry, you actually make a bari and that's the way we it. However, in this Tosavos, we're highlighting that the bush, all bushes, apparently, you make a haadamah. So this is not lahalacha, but it is a, a, a position of Rav Menachem in the, uh, the Tosavos. So let's understand, why would it be that there's a distinction between what bracha you make, haadamah, not a tree, and whether you can plant it in a vineyard, it seems like it is a tree. How could there be such a stira? So we perhaps can explain as follows. There's something called a tree, an apple tree, an orange tree. Those are trees. There's something called a vegetable. That's, let's say, a. although recently someone told me that in, the, in common um, understanding, I guess, in the, in the world out there, is that a tomato is no longer considered a vegetable. So there are planets that used to be planets that are no longer planets. There are vegetables that are not vegetables. The halacha still considers, despite the fact what the experts out there are saying, that in halacha the tomato is a vegetable. You make a burpee adam. Talmud is telling us that there's something called a bush, which falls in between what we'd call a vegetable and a tree. It's not minayi d'shav, and it's not min elon. It's something in the middle. <clears throat> there's this middle state. Middle state. You see, on the one hand, a bush is not considered a vegetable. And because it's not a vegetable, you're allowed to plant it next to your vineyard. See, the halacha is not that you have to be a tree to be planted next to a vineyard. It's that you can't be a vegetable, and a bush is certainly not a vegetable. And since a bush is not a vegetable, therefore you can plant your bush, your blackberry bush, your blueberry bush next to kalayim. because there's no hal- again, there's not the halacha is not that a tree has to that only a tree can be planted next to your kalayim, next to your vineyard. The halacha is that. If something is not a vegetable, it can be planted next to it. And therefore, a bush, as he explained before, is certainly not considered a vegetable. The the bush remains from year to year. The same fruits come on it from year to year. You don't have to replant the bush, and therefore, it's not a vegetable. Because it's not a vegetable, therefore, you can plant it with collium. However, there are other criteria, perhaps the size of the tree, that because the bush is so low to the ground, it could be that's one of the reasons, that even though it's not a vegetable, it also has not yet reached the status of a tree. And therefore, in order to make a bari priya it's not enough not to be a vegetable. A bari priya you have to be a tree. So to make the bari priya you have to be a tree. Well, a bush is not, according to Rabbi Menachem, a bush is not considered a tree. If it's not considered a tree, then how come you can plant it next to your vineyard? Oh, because it's not a vegetable either. A bush is this middle state it's not a vegetable, but it's also still not a tree. It's what we call the matsav beinayim It's the what we would call in halacha. I am not here, but I'm also not there. It's what we used to call in bar Park Nishdehain and I've, I've Sometimes you've left your <clears throat> area. Let's say a person is flying from America, from New Jersey to uh, to Eretz Yisrael, and you find yourself somewhere in the sky above uh, the Atlantic, uh, the, you go, yeah, above, uh, the, above the ocean. I said above the ocean. Okay, so are you in America? No, I'm definitely not in America. Are you in the Holy Land? No, I'm not in the Holy Land either. So where are you? Well, I've certainly left where I was coming from, but I have not yet reached to where I'm going. <clears throat> the Radbaz, and a famous tshuva was asked the following question. What is the status, status of a ger, a convert, that has the Brismila, but had not yet been given, or had not yet gone to mikvah? The halach is that for a person to become a full-fledged ger, he has to be makabel makabal ol has to be a mitzvus, mitzvah, and he has to have Brismila, and he has to go to mikvah. And we're going to assume for this year, like many of them have shown him, that the milah and the tefillah have to happen in that order. You can't do the tefillah and then the milah. You have to do the milah and then the we will we'll explain why in a second. So sometimes it happens that a person in the middle of the process of becoming Jewish, of becoming a convert, he will have done the milah, but not yet have done the tefillah. Nineteen, sorry, 1848, this Shana became most famous because it was in Eretz Yisrael and Rav Shmuel Salant was on a fundraising mission. And the Rav that he put in charge to handle Shabbos, his name was Rav Ashur Lemel, who was 30 plus years old at the time, a Talmud of Rabbi Kiva Ege, the Nesivas HaMishpat. And he was told about an hour before Shabbos was over that there was a wonderful Moroccan, a non-Jewish person who was in the process of gerus, And he had his bris meal already. And he got a little bit of an infection and he couldn't go to Mikvah. And it was Shabbos. And this Moroccan was so from, he wasn't yet, he hadn't yet gone to Mikvah. He was so from that he wouldn't even let the non-Jewish Housemaid, turn on the fire for him. He needed to be a little bit He wouldn't even let he wouldn't let the house, the, the, the woman who was not Jewish woman, do malacha for him. He wouldn't even so Ribbus was told they would tell they were there was they were someone was talking about the virtues of this new Mietz Hashem very soon found gare and he says he's not even he doesn't even violate Amiru Akum. He won't even tell the guy to do a for him, even though he hadn't yet done Twilah. Ribbushalamul said, Please go tell this person that he should do malacha not only through the guy, but he himself should do malacha. Why? Because he hasn't yet had feel, He's a full-fledged guy. And lacha is that a guy should shove is high of Misa. So he told him. And what happened was, is that this person went to the, the person who was in the middle of the game, and he did malachah on Shabbos. And that started a firestorm. And because of that story, we have enormous amount of literature that deals with the ger shemol v'loh tava. What status does he have? Can he keep Shabbos? Now, by the way, it's not the only question that's important. Ager Shemol V'lo Does he, can he be, let's say a person dies in that state? Is he buried in Kuras Yisrael? Is he buried in kever Yisrael? Ager Shemol V'lo What's the status? So many different questions that come up. Can we star of him to a minion. Let's say he touches your wine. A lot of important questions to know. <laughs> you have to, if someone a guy someone a Jew, <laughs> that's a question. So many of them are first, And the Binyan siam was a, was the Rebbe of Rav Shamsha Rafal Hirsch. So he the question went all around the Jewish world. And a number of the, including the Binyan siam, a number of the posts said set based on the Toskish Yishonim and other places as follows. A Ger Shemov Toval is certainly no longer a non-Jew. Once you go through the process of having the circumcision, you're not a non-Jew. If you, now, if a person has a circumcision because he wants to have a circumcision for some Health reason or in the hospital, the parent, the non-Jewish parents decide to give a kid a circumcision because it's healthy, whatever it is. That's not part of the process of conversion. But if someone wants to become a convert and he does a milah le shame he's Yotza Miklal Akum. He's no longer a guy. However, until you have tevila, you're not yet a Jew. And the Radbaz explains as follows. The Radbaz says, Therefore, if this person would touch your wine, it would not be a problem of Stam Yayin of because that only is a problem if a guy touches your wine. He's not a guy. But at the same time, since he didn't go to mikvah, he's not yet a Jew, and therefore you can't be him to a minion. This is a person, sometimes a person's having a, a nervous breakdown or a midlife crisis, the ultimate midlife crisis is the Ger because you don't know where you are. I don't know where I am. I don't know what I'm doing. Here's a person. We always thought either you're a non-Jew or you're a Jew. Now we find out there's someone in the middle. A Ger is a person who's not, no longer, his he's Klal Gai, but Kla Yisrael Loba. You have to take a look at the beginning of the Rambam in Hilchash Trumos. I think it's Perak Aleph, Aloha Gimel, Aloha the Rambam writes. Now, we know there's a, there's a place called Chutzloritz. Tienak is Chutzloritz. Bergenfield is Chutzloritz. France, Paris, France, Italy, it's all Chutzloritz. Eretz Yisrael, Yerushalayim is Eretz Yisrael. He explains, the Raman explains that the Aver Hayarden has this interesting status. Ever Hayarden, it's like funny. On the one hand, you know, Ruvain and God and Chachisheb and Asha, they have they have, uh, they have their Yerusha, their Nachalas there. But at the same time, is it full Eretz Yisrael? You know, it's hard to know. The Rambam writes, it's Yotz HaMiklal Chutz La'aretz. It's not Chutz La'aretz. It's not, it's, it's it definitely doesn't have Chutz La'aretz status, but it's not Eretz Yisrael either. My Naf the halach is that every single person who walks into Chutz La'aretz, even if you don't, even if you've never been to a funeral in your life, the halach is on a level with there's something called Tumas Eretz Ha'amim which means that you have a you have Tumah as if you went to a funeral, as if you came into contact with a dead body. Tumah According to the Rambam, Tumah only applies in Chutzlaharetz. So if you're in Eretz Yisrael, you don't have that Tumah. Let's say you're in Eber HaYardayn, the halach is, you would not have that Tumah. Why? Because there the halach is, it's not that you need Eretz Yisrael to have Tahara. It's that if you're in Chutzlaharetz, you have Tumah. So if you're going to Eber Ha-Yardin, you're no longer Chutz Laretz. You don't have that Tumah. You don't have that Tumah. By the way, if there are any Kohanim out there, that's the big Shilat. I'm sure you've heard the Shilat. It's not so posture that a Kohen is allowed to live in Chutz Laretz. Certainly, Rabbi Yoshev because of this halacha, that um, uh, to, if you're living in Chutz Laretz, okay, we can find some Hetein and that B'Kiv Eger talks about in Shulchan Arach. But if a person's living in Eretz Yisrael, to leave Eretz Yisrael if you're a Kohen, that's a much bigger problem than if you're not a Kohen because if you're not a Kohen, you have the mitzvah of Yishim Eretz Yisrael. How come you're leaving the, you're forgoing the mitzvah? But if you're a Kohen, you're going into a place of Tumah, Tumah Eretz Ha'amin. But a Kohen would be able to go to Eber Ha'yarden, because there there's no Eretz Ha'amin Tumah because it's Yotza Miklau Chutzlau even though it's not yet L'chal Yisrael Eretz Yisrael higia. So this is a very, very important Yisrael. And by the way, <clears throat> By the way, if you, want to, if you want to understand where does this come from, there's a fantastic Gemara on Daf Ches Amaralf. So we've done three three, Daf in three three areas so far. Daf Lamed Vav about Kim Dachiti, which I remember we haven't gotten back to yet. We have the Gemara about the bush on Daf Mem Amaraluf. Now we have this Gemara on Daf Ches Amaraluf. On Daf Ches Amaraluf and Brachos, would you please take a look? in the middle of the page, towards the top, towards the top, nine lines down from the wide lines. It's a beautiful, beautiful, very beautiful Gemara. Nine lines down from the wide lines, the middle, the middle of the page, but a little bit towards the top. Amor of Chizda. Amor of Chizda. Rav Chizda teaches, a person walks into a shul, Person walks into a shul, and this is actually the halacha. You shouldn't sit in the back of the shul next to the door with one foot out the door and one foot in the door. That's 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 pasnish. Doesn't look nice. You know, like you're you're in, you know, you're right. You don't even you're on the way out. You know, you right at the door. You know, you hardly come in. You walk into a shul. You walk in. You walk into a shmorgasbord like that, you know, you walk into a shmorgasbord, you're one foot in, one foot out, you go in, you go into the, you know, you go right into the sweet and sour chicken. You come into shul, you have to go in. But the Gemara says this in a a peculiar way, Rav Chisit tells us, you have to go through two doors. You have to actually go through two doors. The Gemara says, two doors? You have to actually have two doors? You go into Eretz Yerushalayim, sometimes you walk into a shul, and you walk through a door, and you're right in the shul. <laughs> it's not like you have to, you know, we have fancy shuls. You go to a shul and then there's a hallway, then you go to another door. You have to go through three doors until you get to the shul. Nah, it just means, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so Gemara says, really? You have to go through two, you have to build a shul with two doors? Gemara says, it means sheer shnape. It means you have to go in a certain amount. Probably it means dollar amos. Sheer shnape. Right? You have to go in, you have to go in, and Rashi explains, Shir shnei pesachim. Take a look at Divri Amaschel Shir in Rashi. It's about ten lines from the top. Rochav Yikanei Soflim Shelo Yeshiv Somoch LePesach. You shouldn't sit right near the door. The near alof Kemasoy Ikhav Besach because it appears like coming into the shul was a painful act. You know, it's very painful to go into shul. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have one foot out the door. Not appropriate. Yeh Muzumis Somoch LePesach Letes. It looks like you're, you're, you know, you're on the way out. Now, by the way, if you happen to have your Malcolm Kavua near the door, you don't have to change your seat. If that's your Malcolm Kavua, because that's where they put you, okay, so that, that's, that, you know, the, the, if the shul is full and you happen to be sitting near the door, I don't think that's an issue, the post can say. But if the shul is completely full, I'm sorry, if the shul is completely empty, and you can sit in any single any single seat in the shul, and you happen to sit in the back right, not next to the door, okay, it's also probably not an issue if that's where there's a seat. But it's probably better to move up a little to make it look like you're you're on the way in, not on the way out. But still, we're left with the question, why use this peculiar language of Shneipzachem? What does it mean to be in a shul that's Shneipzachem? I have to go inside, Shneipzachem, two doors. Why say it in such a funny way? Shneipzachem. <clears throat> what does it mean, Shneipzachem? So there's a maral, and I'll share with you the maral. I can pull it up right now. Maral says as follows. I don't know. Can you see? I hope that you can see what's on my screen. You have here the. I can't can't see. Hang on. Are you able to see what's on my screen, the Ma'aral? Okay, you can see it. Okay. Let's take a look. The Ma'aral explains what this Gemara means. And I just want to read you one line, and then we'll talk about it outside for a second. Okay, there we go. Perish Maharal in Nisiv The Maharal explains in Nisiv HaAvod HaPerekei, kol sabir the Olam Ikanis shir Listen to this. You know what Shnei means? Pesach Echad, the first, you have to go through two doors. The first door that Maharal explains, Mora highlights the idea of Siluk mi Bachutz. The Haidu is Salek Maral explains. You know what it means that when we come into Shul, we have to go through two doors? Two doors means that the first door means we have to remove ourselves from all the stuff that's going on outside the Shul, which means all the stuff of gashmius of this world, we have to remove ourselves, whatever's taking up our the space in our mind, we have to focus on the fact that we have to remove ourselves from what it is that's going on outside, from iskei olam hazeh. Pesach Hashem, however, the second door, mora al-hissiachtus, and Hashem yisbarak, asher hu The second door highlights the idea that it's not enough to remove ourselves from what's going on outside, but now we have to enter to what's going on inside, which is coming close and having a hisyachtus, so yachidos with the Rebar Shalom. Ze below zeh, and you can't have one without the other. If a person doesn't remove and clear his mind from all the things that are going on outside, then he can't really come and connect with Hashem inside. That if The person turns to Hashem, but his mind is filled with all the worries of all the stuff that's going on outside, and he's still thinking about the election and the politics and all that stuff. Your mind is confused. It's mixed. Outside, inside, it's holding back the ability for us to completely connect with Hashem. So when we walk into shul, it's important to go through two doors. Two doors means, first of all, we have to remove ourselves from the chutz, from the outside, from the street. Second door means, now I can make my way into a yichud and connect with the Rabbana Shalom. It's the same type of thing that the Radbaz said. The first thing you have to do is remove yourself, remove the goy, you to remove himself from the Indian hatuma, from the Indian goyus. He has to remove himself from what, his past state of being a goy. Only now can you go into the mikvah to become a Jew. And that's, by the way, explains the sheet of the Rishonim that said you can't have Tvila before milah. Because that would mean that a person becomes a Jew, well, he's still a goy. That's not possible. First, the person has to remove himself from the gyos, from the Tomas Hagoyim. First, he has to remove himself from the previous state. After we remove ourselves from the previous state, then he can go to mikvah be l'kidushah as Yisro. Now, it's interesting, this last week's parsha. I saw from the Shem The Shem was the Sacher Shava. Sacher so, Shava said something that I had. I, I, it's funny. It was in my notes, and uh, and I forgot about it. So I reminded myself by looking at the notes this uh, this last Shabbos. So the Sacher and I thought, wow, this is a fantastic thing to bring into the Sheer because it fits very very well. The Sacher Shava wants to know why is it that Avraham Avinu, when Hashem told him that he had to leave his land, first he went to Charon. And then the Quran, he went to Eretz Canaan. What do you have to, what, what's with the stop-off? First leave, go straight from Ur-Kastim, she go from his, the place of his upbringing, all the way to Eretz Canaan. And the bull uh, the explains, it's the same idea, without quoting the ma'aral, he says it's the same idea. The leaving of Ur-Kastim, that place, he had to remove himself from that initial place where he grew up, the place of his homeland, so he had to go to this middle place, the schorum, where he removed himself from the past state. Only after he had done that is he able to move into the holy land of Eretz Ganon. The, the Hashemishul also explains that's why we have three months between leaving Mitzrayim and receiving the Torah. There's Abba Chodesh Hashlishi. We have to go into the third month. There's the third month when the Jews left Mitzrayim. Yeah, there's, they have to go, the month one was Nisan, then Iyar, then Sivan. They received, why, why do you have to be in the third month? Why did they go straight from Mitzrayim into Kabbalah Satoru? And the answer is, he explains, that in the first month, a person is still attached to the old place, to the Mitzrayim. In the second month, he removes himself from Mitzrayim and he's in this place in the middle where he he, he, he re- uh, ex- he starts to experience what it is to be out of the old makom, of the old Tumas Mitzrayim. Then he can go into the third month and enter into the, into the bris with Hakadosh Baruch for the receiving of the Torah. This idea appears over and over and over to be ma'udel mitumas to remove the previous state and then to enter into the new state called Kedushas Israel, the new state called Kedushas Yisrael. And in halacha, it's amazing how this appears over and over and over. Not just in defining lands, like Eber HaYardin is no, it's not considered but it's also not eretz Yisrael. Not only with regards to people who convert, the person that converts, that is Yotz HaMikhal for Luchai Yisrael Abba, but also when it comes to fruits and vegetables, amazing thing, we find that the bush is not... A vegetable, but it's also not a tree. And this, this core, this finds itself in the shnei Sachim. the shnei psachim of davchesa and aluf. According to the maral, t- gives us the window to understand this idea of this middle state. And by the way, now we can understand dav. Because we take a look back on Lama Bava Manalov, you want to know, what's the reason why Kim Dachiti, according to Shmuel, the Shachal, and the Varo, and we make a Shachal, and even though the Gemara says, how do you go against Shmuel? How do you argue with Rabbi Yehuda? Everybody holds like Rabbi Yehuda. The Gemara says, because those we pass on like Shmuel, do you make a Shachal on Kimcha Dachiti. Why? So take a look at the Rashi. Rashi says, on the about 15 lines from the top of the page in Rashi, Diri HaMaschel, Hoha, Isle, Ilu, akhrina look at this Rashi, Hilka, I hope you have, I'm going to wait a second until you get it, it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 18, 18. it's 20 lines from the top of Rashi, Diri HaMaschel, let's remind ourselves, the Kimcha Dachiti, the wheat flour, Shmuel said, it's not a kernel, it's not a bar priyadamah because it left that state, but it's still not a cookie. It's not bread because it's not yet pass. And because of that middle state, the brach is shahakal, look at Rashi Hilkach, hoch isli mi klal It's no longer in its initial state of being a, um, a kernel, of being a wheat kernel. Therefore, it's no longer the brach of adamah, however, u'achlal, however, it still not has reached the state where it's its normal way of eating of being a cookie or a challah or a piece of bread and therefore you have right here this middle status is this middle status, it's an interesting thing, you know, the Arizal writes that there's something called a third, you know, we always talk about 12 channels that this Yamsov split into 12 parts for the 12 Shvatim, now Arizal adds, there was actually a 13th channel, there was a 13th area, there was a 13th split, and the 13th split were people who didn't fit in, they didn't fit into Aruve and Shemolevi, maybe there was a gear So if you have 12 different ways of going through the Yom Sof, so where does a gear go? where is someone who's not one of the Shemotim, where is he supposed to fit in? The answer is, Harizal says, there's a place for him too. There's a place called Shachal Nihieh means it includes everything and everybody, even those who feel that I'm not here, I'm not there, I'm no longer, I'm not an Eretz Israel, I'm not an Eretz Israel, I'm not a guy, I'm not a Jew, I'm not a vegetable, I'm not a tree, I'm not a kernel, I'm not a piece of bread. That middle state is what we call the brach of on the Abedvar, we'll talk a lot more about the brach of Sha'akon, but let's end the shir here in reminding ourselves of this important place and in Halacha, we'll see this many, many times of being in the middle state of the Matzah Benayim, that a person's no longer in the previous state, You've You've left one Pesach, but it's important also to remind ourselves that it's not enough to leave the previous day, but also to walk in to the next state into the second Pesach. We should continue to learn. Mesachta to Baruch many Mesech together. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.